Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. Tonight we are beginning a new series and I, uh, I am excited a little scared uh, about launching this series because I I want to be uh, very real with God and with you in this study and uh, open about it. But uh, the series is entitled Hope in the Hurt and uh, dealing with suffering and pain and issues like that. Uh, so, if you wouldn't mind, let's get our Bibles, and we're going to go to the book of Hebrews chapter 9, or chapter 6, rather, and verse 9. The book of Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9. <clears throat> but, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, things that accompany salvation. There are some things that come with living for God, that, that you only get that somebody that doesn't have salvation, they cannot receive, okay? Verse 10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I'll bless thee. Multiply, and I'll multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, strong encouragement, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Somebody say amen. amen. Tonight our lesson is on the pain is real. The pain is real. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and as we embark upon this, this study, Lord, we want to tread carefully in your word. We want to be, Lord, uh, open and honest before you, but Teach us your ways in your word, and we're going to give you the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. <clears throat> praise the Lord. Lord bless you. You can be seated. I believe that there is a balance between being one of those persons that looks through rose-colored glasses and on the other extreme, being the person that is an Eeyore. Sky is falling, everything's bad, everything's horrible. 
And uh, but there is indeed a hurt that 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 cuts deep. There are things that can happen, sorrows, sorrows that that go past having a bad day or a stressful day. There are trials that come into your life that can get you to your core, down to your soul, down to the depths of who you are. I'm not talking about somebody that's missed a shoe sale. Or what used to be known as the Kmart Blue Light Special. There are pains in life that actually can hit us to the point where we, we stop and we say, God, why? God, why? God, why? You know, I've watched those that are the hypochondriacs that are, you know, have that poor me attitude and, uh, and they want to equate a broken shoelace with a broken marriage. And that, that to me is irritating. For them, a runny nose is like suffering, unmeasurable loss. The pain I'm speaking about today is horrific. It is a dream that has been shattered. It is a vision that has died, a loved one that has gone on, uh, something that has truly broken, something that is unfixable. You can't fix it. You can't straighten it up. You can't undo it. It's been done. It's, 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 It's painful. It's painful. Amen. The world is constantly being rocked today by this unspeakable suffering just just a few days ago a an evil walked into a synagogue in Pittsburgh and shot people dead an evil walked into a a Kroger store and pulled a gun on two unsuspecting people and shot them in the back of the head you know what 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 kind of world are we living in when you begin to survey the, the, the fact that in America we have these things that are happening, but you go into other countries and the suffering is even deeper, deeper. You know, children that have, have just abject poverty that they're dealing with. And then we, we, we consider questions like, how do you explain 9-11? How do you explain a tornado coming through and 300 people die. How do you answer when you look at a crippled child? What's the answer? I told you I'm going to try to be real with you. I want us to think. I want us to think. You know, when you consider things like a, a, a disease that is total disabling, a disease that, that, that comes in and rocks the world, well, why would God take an, a talented 18-year-old out in an automobile accident? Well, why, why is it, in, you know, in my, in my own life, I told you this the other day, is that I had a brother that died at the age of 21, and he had already started a church in Mexico. Was going to Bible college in San Antonio, started a church in Mexico, had begun the building itself. And uh, not too long after that, our family, we'll tell you this, our family went down and finished that building. And someone came along and continued the church there. But where is God in that pain? Where is the will of God in that kind of suffering? Shouldn't a loving and all-comparing and all-caring and all-compassionate God shield and protect us from, from pain? 
Shouldn't he? If he's all loving and if he's all knowing, shouldn't he? Just want to make us think. Yet in reality, pain can be a precious gift. Pain can be a precious gift. It's often hated, but sometimes pain leads us to safety. Sometimes pain leads us to a, a, a problem that it, it's got to be taken care of. Uh, it's, it's like a precious paradox. I've preached about it before, but uh, when, you, when, you, when you go to a hospital, they'll tell you, what's your pain level? Is it, is it, is it 1 to 10? How do you say that? And they, or they got those crazy little faces that you've, you've got to look at. You know, make, I don't know. Are you supposed to make those kind of faces or what? I don't know. <clears throat> but our bodies have been wonderfully created with over 200 pain receptors in every one quarter inch of our body. One quarter inch of your body has over 200 pain receptors. In comparison, there are 15 receptors for pressure, six for cold, one for warm, and one uh, per one quarter inch of your body. Yet all of these work in concert to protect our body. Pain is body's comprehensive warning system that begins to go off to send alerts to us that there is peril there. I've I've talked to you and preached about leprosy and how that leprosy is is a disease. uh, I believe it's called now Hansen's disease, but it is a disease that attacks the nervous system to where people cannot feel pain. And they look at the uh, 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 one particular instance that I, I read about is that a man walked up and, and took a key and stuck it into the door. And because he had leprosy, he just turned that and didn't realize that it was stuck and just ripped his hands to shreds. All because he couldn't feel pain. I read about another mother whose young daughter had a, a disease that was similar to that that impacted her. And her prayer was, oh God, let my daughter feel pain. Let my daughter feel pain. According to Wikipedia, pain motivates the individual to withdraw from damaging situations, to protect a damaged body part while it heals, and to avoid similar experiences in the future. Most pain resolves promptly once the painful stimulus is removed and the body has healed. But sometimes pain persists, persists, despite removal of the stimulus and apparently healing of the body and sometimes pain arises in the absence of any detectable stimulus, damage, or disease. Pain is a crazy thing. It's hard to figure it out. Pain arrives to us in all kinds of of ways and intensities. Doctors tell us that the brain processes emotional pain in the same manner that it does physical pain. They told me when I I was battling that heat exhaustion, the the doctor said, you need to remove yourself from stress. How you do that, Doc? Come on, all of you, I know you're not a pastor, but you just got stress in your life just like anybody else. But what I come to realize is that adrenaline 
in your body is the same thing as stress. Your body cannot tell the difference between adrenaline and stress. That's one of the reasons why he said, I didn't, he said, I know you're a Pentecostal preacher, so you need to back away from preaching for a while because you don't need that adrenaline in your body. But when it comes to pain, our body doesn't distinguish between physical pain and emotional pain because they respond to us similarly in our body. Amen. Excessive pain, uncontrollable pain, extreme pain can prevent people from functioning normally because they're hurt. If somebody is hurt emotionally, it's in a, in a form of depression or, 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 or a heaviness or an anxiety that comes upon somebody. And it's just as real as if their arm had been broken and they've got to deal with that. Here's one of the problems about pain is that we are living in a world that wants to be pain-free. We are living, as someone has tagged it, a bubble wrap generation. We're obsessed with avoiding pain. Now, a third of all parents send their school, kids to school, a third of all parents send their kids to school with hand sanitizer. Okay. One ER doctor observed, uh, said this, he said, in a single night, he had patients come in for the following complaints. And they were all brought in by ambulance. Stung by a bee. Got drunk and had a hangover. Set out the sun and got sunburned. Ate Mexican food and threw up. Picked my nose and it bled. <clears throat> Let's run. It's the worst thing that has ever happened to us. But what has happened is that we have, we have set 10 for our pain level when it's really maybe a 1. And so when a 10 shows up, it blows our mind. Because 1 was like, you know, you picked your nose and it bled. Is a 10. Got to run to that, get an ambulance. I want to tell you, dear one, uh, <clears throat> sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's, it, it, the old, old way of raising kids is, is, is okay. Get up, go on, shake it off. It's all right. Stick a rag in it. It's going to be okay. You'll live. You'll live. But we seem to be transfixed on living in a pain-free, bubble-wrap world. If our life isn't perfect, then we go to the ER. If our life isn't perfect, we go to the ER. But what, it, what, what has happened is that then, then it set the bar so high that when pain gets real... Now, all of a sudden, we go crazy. Let's look at point two, getting real with our pain, getting real. George Carlin, known for his dark comedy, is the one who has been attributed this quote, life is tough, then you die. Life is tough, then you die. That's a bleak, dark, ugh, ominous, hard view of life, isn't it? But you know what? In some respects, that's true. Life is tough, then you die. Why are we shocked then when our life gets tough? Why are we shocked when pains and problems and heartaches and hurts and dilemmas and troubles and suffering come upon us? They are a part of life. 
They're a part of life. They're, pain is God's warning sign that something has happened that's wrong. Something, it, you know, uh, things that come into our world. Uh, we, we, we at Pentecost, though, if, if, I, if I could go down this road with you, we say, God is good. God is good. All the time, God is And many people walk out the door after saying that, thinking, well, where is he? Where is he? Then why do I hurt so bad? Why do I feel like this? Why am I suffering? Why is this happening to my family? Why is this happening to my child, my grandchild? Why is this happening? What's going on? I hurt so bad. But God is good. And he's good all the time. That's a true statement. But it's like treating sometimes just a statement like that is just treating a gaping wound with an aspirin. Because there are some times that our confession doesn't match our circumstance. Doesn't mean that I change my confession. It doesn't mean that I stop saying God is good and he's good all the time. It doesn't mean that I change my confession about who God is, but it, then I have to back away and say, in this moment, in this pain, in this situation, God, where are you? What is happening here? I feel like my world is spinning around. I feel like that, 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 that you know, I can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe that my, my, my grandson or my grandchild or, or my, my son or my daughter got into that. How can they get hooked on that? How can this happen to them? I've been a good person. I've been a good person. It shouldn't happen that way. But there are some times that your confession doesn't match your circumstances. There are some times that we uh, uh, have a presentation that doesn't match our pain. We look like everything is good. We act like everything is good, but the pain and the hurt is real. You know what Jesus said? Jesus got real with us, didn't he? He said, in the world, ye shall have tribulation. In the world, you're going to have trouble. In the world, you're going to have heartache. In the world, you're going to have pain. But let's look at the whole scripture, if you would, please. John uh, 16 and 33. John 16 and 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In the world, in life, in life, you're going to have trouble, distress, Oppression, persecution, and anguish. This word means a pressing or a pressing together or a pressure. Amen. It seems like today that we are living in a a world that is so pressed against us. Such a pressure. Just, just everywhere you turn, it's pressure, 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 pressure. And eventually, brothers and sisters, you got to deal with that. Eventually, you got to deal with the pressure. Eventually, you got to deal with the pressure. I'm not just trying to paint a bleak picture of pain tonight, but I want to show you the Bible doesn't hide it. The Bible doesn't run from suffering. The Bible doesn't run. God does not run from the question of suffering. I have heard it said, well, you should never question why. You should never question why. 
then later on, you're going to have to go have a talk with Job. We're going to talk about Job tonight, but you're going to have to go have a talk with Job because that brother flat did. Matter of fact, when we look at Scripture, we find find things like this statement coming from Job in Job 5 uh, and verse 6. Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground. Trouble doesn't just mysteriously spring up out of nowhere. It's a common human condition. Hurt, pain, suffering is a common human condition. You know what? You've been hurt. I've been hurt. Our neighbor has been hurt. I've lost loved ones. You've lost loved ones. Everybody has had some perhaps more devastating than others, some conditions more harsh than others, and and diseases that is more uh, uh, diabolical seemingly than others. But it's not like it's just springing from the dust. This is the human condition. And the human condition is it came from sin somewhere. If you trace it back, you're going to find that there's sin that is around that particular uh, uh, malady. Not that the person has sinned, but somewhere there is a human condition. Because pain is something that we do to ourselves, or that somebody does to us, or that happens irregardless of what is around us. Trouble just does not spring up. It's a part of the human condition. The psalmist said in 34 and 19 of Psalms, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Amen. What I want to point to you is that the Bible does not shy away from dealing with suffering. Matter of fact, you're going to find the word related to afflict or afflictions 198 times. You're going to find the word in its various form related to trouble. Trouble uh, 198 times as well. You're going to find the word suffer 167 times. You will find that in Job it says like this, my eyes 17 and 7 of Job, mine eye also is dim by reason of sorrow. I've cried till I can't even see through my eyes. And all my members are as a shadow. Pain, hurt, amen. Look, look at it, it, this. This, this is this is that 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 prophet that sometimes a little bit hard to pronounce his name. But look at Habakkuk chapter one and verse two. Look at how he starts off his anointed pro- prophetic word. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear. Is that up there? Somebody say that's in the Bible. That's a prophet anointed by God that is saying, How long shall I cry and thou will not hear? Even cry unto thee of violence and thou will not save. Lord, here's the situation. We have got all this going on. Where are you? Where are you? Verse 3. Why dost thou... Show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance uh, for spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that that raise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slack and judgment doth never go forth. Where's the justice? It's not fair. There have been situations in in our life uh, where we, uh, talking about uh, uh, Sister Gill and I, have been grossly 
wronged. I'm talking about these folks just flat. Well, they needed salvation is what they needed. But after being hurt, I look back and, I, and, and, and we had multiple discussions about this. God, you know what they did? Why aren't you getting them? Where are you, Lord? You know what violence has happened. You know this has happened to me. He said, the law is slack and it doth not go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceeds. Does that sound like a guy that's walking, you know, in victory? Just shouting, having himself a good time? Just come from a rip-roaring Holy Ghost service? Just ran the aisles and then walks out the door and says, Oh, Lord, how long will I cry? That doesn't make sense. What he's doing is he's being open and honest about his pain. His complaint is real. Sometime we're going to get a little bit further into that, the, the writing of Habakkuk. But for right now, I just wanted to throw that out to you. The Psalms. Do you realize a th- there's how many Psalms? How many Psalms do we have? Speak it out. 150 Psalms. One third of all the Psalms are prayers or songs with people who are in pain. One third of all the Psalms, can I share some of them with you? How about Psalm 6 and verse 2? Psalm 6, have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I'm weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul, and save me from thy, for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? I'm weary with my groaning. Can anybody under the sound of my voice identify with what this this psalmist is saying? I'm weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I'm crying until I'm swimming in my tears. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth all because of my enemies. That, that, that's that's a, a person getting real with their pain. Now, I'm not talking about somebody that's always a mully grubber, always down and out, always an Eeyore, always having a melancholy spirit. Nothing is ever right. They're always got the worst pain of anybody else. That person needs to go to the altar and repent and get right with God because they're not getting real with their pain. <clears throat> I needed to get that out. How about Psalm 69 and 1? Save me, O God, for the waters are come into my soul. Flooded over inside of me. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I'm weary of my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for God. The Bible does not shy away from the subject of suffering, pain, and heartache. And there's a lot of people that says, well, where's God? I'm going to tell you, he tells us where he is. He shows us that in that human condition that there is a way that there's going to be pain in life. Read Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, the weeping prophet Jeremiah. All of these express confusion about the pain and suffering that God's people, God's faithful people endured. 
Even Jesus, when he was in the, in the garden, what did he say? Father, if it be your will, let this cup of pain pass from me. It was Jesus that was on the cross as he was dying said, My God, my God, why, has you, why hast thou forsaken me? What is he saying? He's saying pain can be real. Pain can be hard. Tough suffering. Let's go to number three, the question of pain. This question is as old as man. Why do the righteous suffer? Why do the righteous suffer? Surely the good should have good and the bad have bad. The Bible does not preach karma. Sorry. This is, I believe, the entire concept and subject of Job. Consider the book with me. Ponder with me the deep, dense textures of this multifaceted work of literature. Matter of fact, Victor Hugo said, quote, Tomorrow, if all literature was to be destroyed and it was left to me to retain only one work, I'd save Job, unquote. Tennyson said, the greatest poem, whether of ancient or modern literature, Job. Daniel Webster said, the book of Job, taken as a mere work of literary genius, is one of the most wonderful productions of any age or of any language. Consider the book. I don't know about you, sometimes I've read the book of Job and it's like, it's like walking through mud. Anybody, when you're reading your Bible through, you get to Job and it's just like, I'm going along, ah, ah, ah. It's meant to be that way. It's meant to stop and make us think. Realizing this, when we consider the book of Job, is that the book of Job is perhaps the oldest known book written in the word of God. It falls somewhere between Noah and Moses. Yet Job, when we can look at this man, Job was a Number one, Job was a righteous man. Everybody say Job was a righteous man. The Bible said in Job 1 and 1, he was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away or shewed evil. Job rose up early in the morning and prayed for his family and offered burnt sacrifices according to the number of all of his children. And the Bible says that he did this continually. Job was a righteous man. He was a good family man. In that day, it was very common for a man to have many wives. But when you look at Scripture here, you will find that Job had one wife. He had a large family, seven sons and three daughters. He was a good family man. He was a rich man to the point that the Bible says he, was, he was a, had a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all men of the East. The dude was wealthy. He owned thousands of sheep, camels, donkeys, and oxen, had many servants. In Job 1 and 8, look at this. The Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him in the earth 
a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. He is a point where there's nobody like Job. There's nobody like Job. So Satan suggested that this good man, this righteous man, was only good and was only righteous because of the blessings in his life. He said that Job would curse God and if God took away his blessings. And so God said, I'll give you Satan permission to take away his, life, his blessings, but don't touch his body. I want to tell you something. What this shows, if you read this, is that, and I want you to get this. If, you, if you're writing and taking notes, write this down. Nothing happens to you unless it first passes through the throne room of God. Nothing happens to you unless it goes through the very finger of God. Even when we don't understand and when we don't know why, why God is still letting some things pass in our life. How many of you, um, when have, 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 have you taken Celia uh, yet for her shots? No. Okay. Can you imagine this beautiful, wonderful little baby that this mother, who is a committed mother and a loving mother, is going to take her in perfect timing, is going to take her into a building. She's got all kinds of love for this child, but she's going to take her into a building at some point in time, and that baby is going to have a needle shoved in its leg, And you know what? Mama has the power to take her out of that environment. Mama has the understanding, though, that if she's going to stay healthy, this particular situation has got to be taken care of. And she won't understand that until later on in her life when she comes to realize, oh, my mom loved me. But at the time, we are saying, take me out of this, God. Get me out of this, God. Move me out of this situation, Lord. This is beyond me. This is painful. This is horrible. This is awful. And we know that God has the power and the ability, but what he is saying is that, wait a second, I approve this, Job. Before he ever came to you, he's got to go through me. And while he may be my agent for a while, I'm still in control. I'm still in authority here. And so his wealth is gone, his children are gone, his servants are gone. And in Job chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with boils, because he had said to the Lord, Let me touch his body. And the Lord gave him the chance to touch his body. So now he's, he's got boils from, from the foot to his crown. In verse 8, And he took him a, a pot shirt and scraped himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife, Unto him dost thou still retain thy integrity. Job, are you still, do you still have your integrity? Do you still have your character? Otherwise, curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest of one of the foolish women. Listen to what he said. What shall we receive? Good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Is that up? I want you just to look at that. 
Look at that statement. Now, I want to sidebar just right here for a minute. Can I sidebar for a minute? We often want to point fingers at Job's wife, but if you'll study Job, Job wasn't some squeaky clean, always doing right kind of guy. Read the whole book. Okay? But the statement is here is that what shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? In this did not Job sin with his lips. He is saying God's in control. Do you remember what he said when, his, when, it, when it come to the everything had gone? What he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we clap our hands and say, Woo, yay, Brother Job. What in, what in, but you'll follow him a little bit later on. He is saying, God, where are you? Why did this happen to me? What is going on in my world? Because he's still scratching. He's still dealing with the pain. He's still dealing with the issues. Okay, to make matters worse, he gets visitors. Can I say with Job's friends, who needs enemies? Let's look at point number four, Job's comforting friends. Job chapter 2 and verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they heard that without Facebook, y'all. That amazes me. They came, everyone, from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and so far, the Namanite. For they had made appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. If you open your Bible or you got your app, you need to mark the word comfort him. They came by appointment. That means they planned. They got together. Hey, we need to go down and check on Job. Hey, you want to go with me? I'm getting ready to leave. We're going to go check on Job. I hear he's lost everything, and now he's scratching with pots. We're going to go check on Job. Look at Job 2 and 13. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him. The very best thing these friends could ever do is what they should have done for seven days and then left. Can I tell you, the best thing I think you can do for somebody that's in pain and in suffering is just be there. Sometimes when we open our mouth, that's when we get into trouble. Telling them what we think and what we feel. And, and so after seven days that they're sitting there in silence, Eliphaz, the Temanite, one of Job's friends, as you'll see in Scripture, he debated with Job three times all the way through the book, in chapter 4 and 5, Eliphaz claimed that Job should cling to his integrity and simply repent so he could be restored. In chapter 15, after hearing Job speak some about uh, 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 his, his response, Eliphaz became less gracious toward Job and he began to, began to uh, 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 use the lack of wisdom. Let me, let me, let, let me look at, with you at, at, at some of the stuff that Eliphaz said. Look at Job chapter 4 and verse number 1. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered and said, If we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? If we talk with you, would it upset you? But 
who can withhold himself from speaking? Really, would it upset you if I tell you how, how really wrong you are with your ash and boils and pain? I want to tell you how to handle your pain. I want to tell you how to handle your grief. I want to show you where you can make things right. Okay? Verse 3. Behold, you have instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that was fallen, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it has come upon thee, and thou feignest. You preached all this. You talked about how you need to know God's good and good all the time. You talked about how that you ought to have faith in your confession, and now it's coming to you and you're fainted, and it touches thee and you're troubled. This comforter goes on to tell Job in verse, verse 15. Now, if, if, if this had been me, I had been wigging out by this already. But if it hadn't been at that point, when you come to verse 15, I'm, 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 I'm saying you can leave. Look at 4 and 15. This is Eliphaz. A spirit gilded past my face, and my hair on my body stood on an end. I'm thinking about your condition, Job, and I had a revelation from God. I had a visitation, a holy visitation. And it says, and, and it stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes, and I heard a hushed voice. In fast, you've been good to take a cue. Hush your voice yourself. And verse 17 says, Shall mortal man be more than more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Behold, he put no trust in his servants, and his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in the houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth, and, and they are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish, they perish rather forever without any regarding it. Doth not their excellency which is in them go away? They die even without wisdom. What is Eliphaz doing? He is comforting Job. Now you helped everybody and now you, you, you showed how you were the man of faith and how that you were a man that was special with God. But Job, you're suffering because you did something wrong. Can I just get very, very uh, much to the point is that what Job was surviving on was what God had said about him. He was a perfect man. He was a righteous man. He was a good family man. He had done everything that he knew to do. He was not a bad, immoral man. He was a good man. And he was holding on the word that he knew from God. And Eliphaz shows up and says, Looky here, this would not be happening to you if you just hadn't been so hoity-toity in your life and, and been so super spiritual. It, it wouldn't have happened to you. Amen. But Eliphaz, he says, those who plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. You're reaping what you have sown. Again, with friends like this, who needs enemies? He is stating that sinners wilt when God breathes upon them, and he is doing that to Job. 
If someone's, hear me tonight, if someone's comfort doesn't line up with the word of God, then it's not comfort, it's harassment. When you already know what God has said into you, and that's what you're holding on to, it's the last thread that Job has, is that I am believing that God knows who I am and where I am. I look for him on the left and on the right and behind and before, and I can't find him, but he knows where I am. Hallelujah. Somewhere along the line, oh, Job had searched his heart already. He had looked at it and seen what God had said. But what he wants to know now is he wants to, he wants to know <laughs> my Redeemer lives. I'm just going to hold on to that. There are sometimes, brothers and sisters, you're going to have to, in the time of pain, just hold on to a little bit of what you know. Bill Dad, the shoe height was a brute. Hard to believe that this guy would even be called Job's friend. Job, uh, Bildad cruelly recalls the death of Job's children to his face. He assumes that Job would uh, agree that his children had been punished for their sin. Your children died because of sin. That's what he's saying. And the Lord destroyed them in their hand because of their transgression. But the idea is preposterous. Bildad's argument is built on the assumption that all suffering is the result of sin. That's just not the case. The sad thing that Job's friends had come to do was to comfort him. But they didn't. There's something that Bildad said I want to point out to you in Job chapter 8 and verse 8. Job had, Bildad had been talking to him about all this kind of stuff and, and really read him the right act. And in, in Job 8 and verse 8, he says, For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers, for we are but yesterday and know nothing, because our days upon the earth are a shadow. Shall not they teach thee and tell thee and utter words out of their heart? What is he telling, what is he telling Job here? Go read a good book. Look at the testimony of Aunt Sally and what she went through. Listen to the stories of missionaries and how they overcome suffering. Job, that's what you need to do. You know what the danger of this particular mentality is that there's a little bit of truth in that, but yet his, his direction was off. Because yes, testimonies can help. Books can help. But nothing can replace taking one's complaint and one's hurt to the throne room of God and bring it before God. You're right, Bildad. I know God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. He says, but I will not forget my complaint. I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. If I be wicked, then why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean and shalt thou plunge me in the ditch and my own clothes shall abhor me. What is he saying? He says I know these things are happening in my life oh but I want to tell you I'm not going to, I need more than just a story from yesterday. I need more than just a book that I can read. I need more than somebody's testimony. Listen to what he says I need. In verse 32 of Job 9 he says 
says, for he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. God is not like me, and I am not like God. Neither is there any daysmen betwixt me that might lay his hand upon us both. What is he saying? He is saying, I am looking for an arbitrator. I don't have an arbitrator. A book is not going to be my arbitrator. A good testimony is not going to take me to the place where I have a mediator that's going to be able to reach to God and reach to me. But I want to tell you, Job's answer happened in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Ghost came up forth and did not Jesus say, I'll send to you the comforter. I'll send to you the arbitrator that's going to be able to touch the throne room of God and touch you at the same time. The third dube, Zophar, is worse than the other two before him. You know what he called Job? A windbag. He accused him of boasting, full of a lot of talk. Job 11 and 2, let me pick up some of Zophar's junk. Should not the multitude of words, multitude of words be answered? Should not a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, should no man make thee ashamed? For thou hast said, my doctrine is pure, and I'm clean in thy eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee, and that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, and they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thy iniquity deserves. Can you imagine somebody that has just lost all their children, all their wealth, and scratching boils on their life, and this guy comes along and says, you got better than what you deserve. Job is listening to these words, and he's still wrestling with pain. I want to hear, I want to, I want to be, I'm getting close to the end, but there are times you can come to church and hear a message and still wrestle with pain. There's going to be times that you'll go through stuff, and you can hear somebody give their testimony, and you're going to wrestle with pain. You're going to still deal with these issues and still with, the, Job is left with still the same question. God, why? What is going on? That's what it means when he says, I bring my complaint to the Lord. I bring my complaint to, my, to the Lord. He didn't bring his complaint to Eliaz. He didn't bring Eliphaz. He didn't bring his complaint to Bildad nor Zorphar. He said, I'm taking it to the Lord. He's the only one that's going to have the answer for me. So what did Job want? Job wanted answers. Somebody say, I want my answers. I want my answers. Job wanted more than a book and a testimony. He wanted more than hollow words of some supposed friends. He wanted answers. And so here's how the Lord answered him. Matter of fact, the Bible says, and the Lord answered Job. Job 38 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Then he starts giving to Job what he needed to hear. 
Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measure thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? And who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it broke forth? Or as if it had issued out of the womb, and while... Job is waiting for an answer why. God is saying, I'm bigger than where you are. You see, while we're looking for an answer to our, our sick loved one and while we're looking for an answer to our financial crisis and while we're looking for an answer, the Lord is simply saying, where were you when I laid the foundation? Where were you when I said, let there be light and there was light? What is He's not running Job down. He's trying to get Job to think and to react to his question and conflict. And the answer is, God's bigger God's all-knowing. God's got it. The answer that God gives to Job is, I'm creator. I created this complex universe. Go outside tonight and if the sky is clear, Look from one side to the other. God's got it. This earth is spinning on its axis. God's got it. Revolving around the sun and the solar system. God's got it. Amen. The minute you are being held up today because the molecules in your pew is working together because he holds it together. Amen. If he holds that together, I don't have to understand everything. I just have to trust him and say, God, that's my answer. My answer is, God, you got this. My answer is the mother that takes its baby to the doctor and does something that hurts the baby, but the baby can't see in time. There are things that I don't know, but sometime they come later on. And I say, aha, uh-huh. that's why. Job's pain of what looked like undeserved suffering compels us to ask the age old question why do bad things happen to good people? The answer may not satisfy you tonight as yet, but will you hold on with me as we study this a little bit further? God allows pain for good reason. Even though he may not reveal those reasons to us. Let me say it again. God allows pain for good reason, but he may not reveal that reason to us. Job did not reject God. He just simply challenged and questioned him. The Almighty quieted Job decisively when he thundered his own perspective on the situation. God did not answer Job's question of why. He instead overwhelmed Job and his friends with the truth that he is majesty and sovereignty. That's the truth. Look with me just for a few bit more. Job 42 and 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do 
everything. And that no thought can be withholded from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Therefore have I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare unto, and, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now, but now, mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, repent in dust and ashes. What is he saying? He said, "In this mess, I saw God." What else do we need? That in this mess, I see God. As long as my pain is my ruling force, it can lead me down a, par- a path that leads me along some really stupid friends. Comments and things that go through my head and tell me this and tell me that and tell me all that other. And I don't, don't get it right. But if I hold on to God, I can say, Lord, let me see you. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory in this. Let me see it. Uh, verse 7 says, And it was so after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm not leaving y'all out of this. My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that which is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to thy servant Job and offer for yourselves a burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you. When the battle's over, we shall wear a crown. I I hope that somehow tonight, somehow tonight you can know it's okay to know that the pain is real. It's there, but God is still there. God has an ending. God has a purpose. Hallelujah. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that means a valley has got a beginning and an ending. Hallelujah. Satan's got a short time that he's got to work. He's got a day. We got a, we, it's called the evil day. It's a day. Amen. I don't know how long your season is right now that you may, de- may be dealing with, but let me tell you, in the midst of it, you may have conflicts with God. You may have challenges with God. You may have questions with God, but hold on to him anyway. God, I don't understand this. I can't figure it out. I do not have the answer. Oh, but when I look out at the stars and I see your handiwork and see that you are looking at me and you love me. You love me. Would you stand with me, please? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't normally do this on Tuesday night, but I feel it in the Lord. If you're dealing with something right now, why don't you step out and come to the altar? Why don't you come? If you're dealing with some pain and you're dealing with some issues, why don't you come? Stand here. There are some things I just don't understand. But what you're saying is, I'm holding on to you, Lord. 
I'm holding it. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. There's going to be some pain in your life sometime that you can't get over by yourself. You're going to need to know the Lord. You're going to need to know the Lord. Hallelujah today. Lord, I praise you today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody else? You're dealing with some things right now. You may be at the moment where there's not a lot of hurt in your life and you're doing good. That's fantastic. Amen. Shout your victory and worship the Lord. But there's going to be somebody that walks down here that you may not even know the depth of their pain. You may not know the depth of what they're going through uh, but there is a God that says uh, hallelujah hey Job I see you hey Job I know who you are praise be to God hallelujah hallelujah Lord there is peace in spite of the pain Lord there is peace in spite of the pain glory be to God today hallelujah hallelujah today oh Lord we need you now we need you now Jesus Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the deep waters, God, that we go through. We're going to need you now. Lord, we're going to need you now. Oh, when we don't understand why and what we're going through is confusing us, God, help us to turn back to you, to come to you, even if it is complaint, even if it is question. Lord, even if it is concern, God, we bring it to you tonight. We thank you, Lord, that somehow you're going to answer through this. You're going to answer in this. In the name of Jesus today, hallelujah, I praise you, God. I bless your name. I bless your name. I bless your name. Hallelujah. You are able, Lord. You are able, Lord Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, today. Hallelujah. That wayward child can come back to you, Lord. I'm not going to live in the, 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 the just the, the question that if it did ever happen, I'm going to believe you, God. You're in control. If you hold together the universe, Lord, then you hold together me. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus today. Oh, glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Oh, God, you're there in the hurt. You're there in the hurt. You're there in the pain. You're there when I don't understand. You are there, Lord Jesus. I praise you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, today. In the name above every name, praise be to God. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com.